Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is, I'm Peter Whittle. Now, Turning Point USA is a conservative or we might call it an anti-left-wing youth movement that was started in America in 2012. It was founded by someone called Charlie Kirk and perhaps his best-known personality is the campaigner and commentator Candace Owens. Now, this month we have Turning Point UK. It was launched in London and indeed Candice Owens and Charlie Kirk were there in attendance. But what is this new movement actually about? I'm really pleased that we have with us today Dominique Samuels, who is their spokesperson. Welcome, Dominique. Thank so, you very so what much. what you're saying is, um, you've come down from Manchester today, haven't you? Yep, I have. Yep. And where, what are you doing there? What are you doing in the university there? Um, I'm at the University of York currently, oh. but um, I did a year abroad and I decided I didn't like it. So I've come back and then I'm going to go back to university in September, basically. Why didn't you like it? Um, I just didn't really like the US. I found the schooling a lot different to the schooling like here yeah. so say you know college in the UK yeah. it's literally like college in the US yes. you know you're in a classroom you're not really in yeah. a lecture hall um, you have homework your attendance is a part of your grade it just really wasn't for me no. I just didn't feel like an adult basically so and what so are you studying here what are you studying at York uh, politics and international relations oh well, well that's appropriate isn't it yes it is. <laughs> can you tell me uh, obviously, you were, you've, you were formed and you launched this month, yeah. and you know you had a bit of trouble from the usual suspects on online and all the rest of it. Yeah. But can you just explain how how near are you? How f close are you to Turning Point USA, or are you quite separate? Um, well, we are separate in terms of our message. Obviously, it was launched in the US first, so. Um, some of the marketing, etc., is going to be similar to Turning Point UK. But in terms of this, like our content, it's very different from the US. You know, different countries, different issues, right. kind of thing. So we're obviously going to be focusing on different things. So what would you say the basic difference is? I mean, I know Turning Point USA. I basically know about Candace Owens, really. Yeah. And I know she's got a very particular um, number of issues that she cares about. I mean, how is your... Having looked at your agenda online, it seems to be quite economic, for example. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is more economic, focused on economics, because um, in America, I think, um, you know, racial issues and identity politics is much more of an issue there. Um, there seems to be a lot more divide. And one of the main things that Candace Owens focuses on is the Democratic Party and how they do use ethnic minorities as a voting bloc. And they seem to do that a lot more overtly because, you know, Americans are a bit more dramatic <laughs> than British people. Um, but here, I think there are some very similar trends and we will be touching upon that. But at the moment, um, you know, the rise of Corbyn and, you know, the economic illiteracy that he espouses is like one of the main issues mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. Turning Point USA is... Um, a lot more Trumpian as well at the same time. A lot of people do support Trump there. Yeah. And we don't, you know, necessarily promote, you know, party politics. Right. Um, a lot of people are conservative, obviously a part of the movement. Um, however, we aren't afraid to also criticize the conservative party at the same time, because um, I know a lot of people are very critical of the direction that the conservative party is taking at the moment. So we will be touching a lot more on that as well. That's an interesting point, you see, because we have something called a conservative party. They yeah. don't in America, it's Democrats and Republicans, right? Yeah. But And they are more aligned, you're saying, more with the Republicans, is that right, in America? Yeah, I mean, after going there, <clears throat> I thought that, at one point I thought, you know, I'm a conservative in the UK, yeah. but I'd most likely be a Democrat. Right. 
in America. So I went there and it was literally like the Labour Party and that's when, yeah, it was the people who support it, you know, pro-identity politics, pro-victimhood, um, pro-everyone's oppressed, you know, the oppression Olympics that Candace Owens kind of touch upon. Um, so I'd say that after going there, I would be a Republican and our views are quite similar in a lot of ways. It's interesting actually because that I don't think the Democrats were always like that, yeah. probably. I think that that's one of the big changes. So um, basically, you're not aligned here, right? You're not mm -hmm. aligned. How many people are involved now with Turning Point UK? How many members do you have? Um, like in terms of... Well, it, you know, how many people have sort of signed up and shown an interest or whatever in, in, in the group? Quite a lot of people, actually. Yeah. We've had a lot of emails of people wanting to get involved. Yeah. And also there are a lot of people involved, probably about 30 involved in actually launching the right. university chapters as well. Right. And that's going to be started pretty soon. But it's been a bit difficult because there have been some pushbacks from university unions. My own, like personally, um, they were finding excuses not to um, like ratify the society of Turning Point on campus. But that's something that we're going to pursue and like kind of push back on because it's one of the main issues that we're talking about, which is the bias on university campuses yeah, yeah. and the um, demonisation of conservative um, young people and conservative thoughts on student campuses. So I'm really excited about kind of fighting back against that. I mean, on campuses, I was, you know, at university, like, before the flood, right? <laughs> but at, at that time, it was always very left-wing. Yeah. You know, I was in the Conservative Party at that point, right? Um, but things have got much more restricted, I think. And you're right, there's much more. You mentioned though that they're trying, basically giving you problems about ratifying you as an organization. Yeah. We've had something just quite recently down at the University of Essex about the Jewish society. Yes. And this is extraordinary that this could happen. I mean, that's exactly the kind of issue, isn't it? Where they're basically not ratifying. They're saying we don't want a Jewish society on campus. Isn't that the sort of thing that you would exactly be um, you know, involved in uh, opposing things like that? Exactly. I mean, um, we've seen with the left at the moment that there is an anti-Jewish kind of hysteria at the moment. And one of the reasons why they didn't want to ratify the society was because it celebrated the founding of Israel. Well, I think the, the issue is that people are associating Israel as a state with the government. I mean, there are many parties um, within the Israeli parliament um, and there always have been, yet people can't seem to make that distinction. And why is it that Jewish people can't have um, the right to self-determination? Why is it that they can't have a state but everybody else can? It really doesn't make sense. And I think with, um, there was also something recently that I read with, you know, Shemima Begum, yeah. the issue of revoking her citizenship. In one breath, Corbyn said that she shouldn't have her citizenship revoked and that, you know, she should receive support here in the UK. But then in the next breath, McDonald's says that anybody who goes and supports Israel um, you know, the IDF should have their citizenship revoked. It, it really doesn't make sense to me. And um, people are still trying to insist that it doesn't have anything to do with anti-Semitism. And I'd say that at the moment, the writing's on the wall. You're just willingly ignoring it at the moment. It's ridiculous. When it comes to, like, you know, before Turning Point UK, before your involvement in it, you've, you've been at York for, what is it now, what, two years? Is yes. it you know, two years? Uh, how do you feel, I mean, when it comes to the restriction of free speech, how does it express itself on a day-to-day -day level at university? How, how, would you see, how would you say, oh, I feel basically that it's a pretty oppressive atmosphere here if I am not left-wing? Um, it's much more, it's not people telling you, no, you can't say that, you know, I'm not allowing you to speak. It's more 
um, aggression in the sense that when you do espouse these views and when you do share these views people often try and shout you down um, they often try and make you feel uncomfortable yeah. I've been in situations where people have gotten really upset and angry from a debate and you know it's just the kind of atmosphere that people shouldn't be subjected to we go to university to explore different ideas and to hear other opinions and that's how you know we become more educated whereas the atmosphere now is you know I don't want to hear anything you have to say yeah. so I'm gonna block you out because is, you know, you're harmful to my existence and this is a trend that is growing and growing and I think it's quite dangerous to be honest. Do you see this in your own contemporaries, you know, your own friends? I mean, do you, you know this whole idea of a, a, a safe space that somehow mentally, you know, I can't be open to new ideas. I mean, as you said, quite rightly, university was all about that at one point. It's just not now, is it? No, it's not. I mean, one of my friends, um, he actually, he was, you know, espousing his views on Facebook, he has quite conservative views, not anything, you know, totally bad. But one of his friends actually was like, I can't be friends with you anymore because of your views, you know, yeah. you hate working class people. And it's just like, <laughs> you know, he never said that. Yeah. So why are you drawing these conclusions from people just having different views to you? It's like, just really ridiculous. But this is, look, you know, when it comes to the freedom of speech issue, we're talking about this is a really massive task isn't it mm -hmm. how do you go about how will you go about you've got two things haven't you got to, you've got to you've got to oppose this and somehow you know challenge it mm -hmm. and also which is even harder maybe is that you've got to tell younger people students or whatever there's nothing wrong if you have like conservative views or whatever or not left-wing views if you like how are you going to let's take the first one how would you challenge what is happening on camp campuses? I think the best way to kind of challenge it would be to make it a bit more relatable because I think right. at the moment there's there's a state of conservatism at the moment where it's just not very relatable to young people. I think we have to kind of accept that. We've got Theresa May as the Prime Minister. Not many people can relate to her let's be honest especially. On what basis? Why? Because she's what? It's how she presents herself. She's yeah. a bit of a robot in a way and yeah, you know yeah. she is you know <laughs> maybot um she's just not very relatable and i think one of the main things that the conservative party can do is actually give us a candidate that's quite a bit younger that people can relate to that has more charisma that has something about them that people can relate to and if we start there then i think that's a big step but on campuses i think just really having conversations with people is the mm -hmm. beginning mm -hmm. and you know kind of dispel some of the hostility that is surround, surrounding the political debate at the moment and that's what Turning Point UK actually wants to do. We want to hold events and we want to hold rallies and give people a chance to actually challenge our ideas so when we, you know, challenge them on their ideas we can somehow come to some kind of middle ground if you know what I mean. What's it been like, you know, for you being a spokesperson for them, what's it been like with, you know, you've had a lot of interest from the media, haven't you? Yeah, what's, have. what's that been like for you? Um, it's been good in a way because it, it's given me a chance to really express my ideas and my opinions. And I've had quite a good reception because people are interested in hearing what I have to say. But at the same time, I've had a lot of abuse as well. Um, what kind of abuse do you get? Just, it's quite racial, <laughs> to right, be honest. Okay. On the one hand, I'm getting, you know, abuse from people on the far right saying that I need to be deported. You know, despite no. the fact that, you know, my whole family has lived here, like, their whole lives, you know. And then, on the other hand, I'm getting people telling me that I'm a token, that I'm being used, you know. This is the conservative version of I have a black friend. And, you know, it's just, it, I find it quite funny, but in a way it's really quite demeaning and it 
you know, it does kind of reflect. Call you an Uncle Tom, in other words. Yeah, like yeah, an Uncle yeah. Tom, and yeah. you know, if you think about the origins of the word Uncle Tom, yeah. it used to have really positive connotations. It was basically about a strong, um, masculine Christian black slave who refused to bow down to his yeah. oppressors, basically by revealing the whereabouts of um, female slaves that had escaped. And then, as time went on, the book that was actually written about him was then twisted and actually made into a racist stereotype of Uncle Tom being this subservient kind of individual. And um, that narrative has always been controlled by racists. And what we're doing now is we're utilising a racist term and using that to keep ethnic minorities, particularly black people, in their place in a way and keeping them from straying, you know, where the left thinks they should be. And that's something that I really do want to challenge because it's something that I've just been faced with so much and I'm quite frankly sick of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There is this thing, I mean, you say that, you know, the Turning Point USA and Candace, she's got this uh, campaign, as it called Blexit, which yeah. is to try to get the black vote away from the Democrat Party, yeah. simply because she says that they've been enthralled to them for years and that oh, they're yeah, used, yeah. right? They're yeah, used. they've been used. But you could say, even though you say we've, we're different here, but you could say that, for example, it's been a, something that the Conservative Party, for example, has been trying for God knows how long, uh, is to have, make more inroads into the black and ethnic minority vote, and it just mm -hmm. doesn't really on the whole seem to happen. So, I mean, there is a sort of similar situation here, isn't there? I mean, and it's assumed, isn't it, that you won't be Conservative, isn't that right? Yeah, it's assumed that I'd be Labour, that yeah. I'd support Jeremy yeah. Corbyn, yeah. Um, that I'd support socialism, all of this stuff, and I quite simply don't think the socialism works. I mean, we've seen it in so many countries, yeah. and it's an economic system that's failed. I mean, there's a lot of pro-black um, people that support socialism because of leaders like um, Malcolm X, for example, and um, some leaders in parts of Africa after um, decolonization that did advocate socialist economics, and it just doesn't work. And I ask myself, how can I support something that I just don't believe in? Yeah. Why do you expect me to support something that I don't believe in just because of my skin colour? It just doesn't make sense to me. Well, because you, it's just similar, similar with me being a gay man. Yeah. We're kind of oppressed, right? Yeah. We're kind of oppressed people. <laughs> so therefore, uh, basically, that's what it's about. Somehow or other, we should, we should be, be in opposition, as it were, to the, to the white, straight, male yeah. uh, establishment, whatever it is, rubbish. Well, I would agree that some of the worst responses I have personally have been when I've spoken to, to political gay audiences. They can't bear the fact that I'm not, you know, liberal lefty or whatever. Yeah. Um, how far have you been involved in politics before this? When did it start? You seem to know pretty clued up on political history and everything. Is this something you've always wanted, you've always been interested in? No, actually. Um, so basically, I studied history at at high school and um, that's how I started thinking you know I think I might want to start looking into politics it seems quite interesting so I did politics at college and before I actually like st I studied at college I didn't actually know anything about politics at all so at first as I started learning about it I was kind of left-wing in a sense I didn't really know where I stood <laughs> yeah. I didn't really know where I stood but I was critical of the Labour Party but then again I was like oh Jeremy Corbyn is probably the only answer because of Theresa May and I was you know I was always critical of both sides but I think I was left-wing mm. and then as I started learning about conservatism as an ideology at school 
you know, I began to realise this makes more sense to me than socialism or, say, liberalism, you know, the many branches of liberalism. And, you know, as, I, as time progressed and I started learning more about politics, I realised, you know, I think I'm a conservative, I do support capitalism, and I just started to accept myself in that way. And, you know, at a point I did actually join the Labour Party because I was, yeah, I was desperate to find a political home. And I thought, I'm interested in politics, I want to pursue politics, um, where do I go? Yeah. And it seemed, you know, living in Manchester as well, it seemed that the Labour Party was the only destination for me. I couldn't possibly join the Conservative Party or be a Conservative. You know, when people think of the Conservative Party, it's rich white men, basically. Right. So that was the impression that I got. And then, you know, I started to realise I'm just not passionate about socialism. So, I, you know, I, I left. And then after a while, I decided to join the Conservative Party, and then it just went from there, really. What about your family? I mean, what are, are they political? Are they interested in politics? Do you talk about politics much? You know, when you were growing up. My family, on the whole, aren't really that political. But as I started studying politics more, I started engaging my mum in more debates about politics, and yeah. you know, we have some really good conversations. She's quite conservative. She's quite right wing. I'd say she's more right-wing than I am, but I think we find middle ground in a lot of ways and my discussions that I have with her really help me kind of formulate my opinions and my perspectives on a lot of stuff. Right. So, yeah. okay. so basically, what do they think of what you're doing now? Uh, my mum really supports it, yeah. particularly because she's just excited about me, you know, speaking up for black people, to be honest, yeah, because yeah. we don't really have an alternative voice in politics. We're faced with people like David Lammy, who just perpetuate this ridiculous narrative of black people are victims. You know, we need to be reminded of slavery every single second, as if that defines our, our identity, mm. and as if that defines our future. And I just really don't believe in that. And I think it's quite controversial to say that I am sick of hearing about slavery. I am sick of hearing about how much I've been oppressed, how much white people mm. hate me, how much I don't belong in this country. I'm sick of hearing it. Mm. And I think that it's time that someone actually stood up and said, you know, we're sick of hearing about this now. We'd like to move on to something yeah, else. You exactly. Know? Yeah. You put, you know, on your Twitter feed, you've got your various things that you believe in, things you're against, right? And, you know, small state, I think you say you're for, you know, obviously free speech mm -hmm. and what have you. Uh, on the against side, you've got nativism and you've got alt-right and alt-left, right? Now, how would you define nativism, for example? I think what's important, it's a difficult one, yeah, what's important to distinguish there is how, like putting the interests of British people and um, British citizens first. Yeah. I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah. Um, I think it's, also, it's often um, kind of conceptualised as this inherently hostile thing. And that's where nativism comes in, because with nativism, it's putting British people first, but it's also being hostile towards others that aren't necessarily British. Mm. And it kind of, um, it kind of characterises itself quite negatively because it's often perpetuated by people that are quite racist, like the people saying that I need to be deported despite the fact that I am British just because I'm not white. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. the distinguish that we kind of need to make. There's a difference between being patriotic and, you know, loving your people and wanting to put your people first. And then there's hating other people that aren't white or aren't necessarily born in Britain to begin with. Mm. I think that's an important distinguish that, mm. you know, people need to make. Well, I think the point about patriotism is it was always kind of quite, first of all, it should be inclusive, and it's also quite warm. It's kind of like, it's, it's a benign thing, as yeah, opposed to maybe outright nationalism or whatever, I don't know. But yeah. I think that's the, the main difference as I see it. Um, but 
Although we talk there about economic issues, and this is basically the way you're going to be going more with Turning Point UK, there are these identity issues. They've come up time and again in our conversation. Yeah. Um, it is very strong in, in America, but you said it is happening more here now. I think it's almost completely uh, established here now, the whole identity yeah. politics thing. Don't, don't you agree? I, I mean, do, I do. It, it is one of the main battlegrounds. I mean, you'll be taking that on, surely. Yeah, definitely. I think in the UK, although it's, I'd say it's less, you know, dramatic as it is in America, mm. it's definitely an issue here. For example, the left telling me, you know, we're the only ones that can unlock your potential. You can't join the Conservative Party because Owen Smith said, you know, it's institutionally racist. And it's a fear that people have. It's a paranoia that people have about reverting from the left, you know, to more conservative thinking. And um, in my university, I'm a student ambassador, and I was working with these kids that basically come from deprived backgrounds and, and want to come to university. And I was speaking with one of the black girls there, and she was saying, you know, she's paranoid about going to a university that isn't full of other black people or other ethnic minorities because of the perceived reception that she thinks she's going to get. And I was just telling her, you shouldn't be ruled by this fear, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, you shouldn't be going into places paranoid that think yeah. people are going to be thinking about your race, people are going to hate you, because it, that's what's stopping you. It isn't people physically stopping you from having access to these opportunities. It's often a mentality that people have. Mm -hmm. When I said that I was going to the University of York, you know, everyone was saying to me, why are you going there? It's so white. And I'm just like, we live in the UK, you know, 80% of the population is white anyway. When you go into the work workforce, you're going to be surrounded by people from all backgrounds, but also, you know, a background that is representative of the majority of the UK. How far do you expect to go in life if you're going to be ruled by the comfort of yeah. being surrounded by everybody that looks like you? Yeah. It's just a really unhelpful mentality that I think we need to talk about a bit more. Well one of the sort of side issues of identity politics is hate crime, for example. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the London Assembly. Hate crime comes up all the time, you know. So I was going to ask you, I mean, what, is, what do you think about hate crime? Do you, think, do you think it's something that we should take seriously? I mean, or do you think it's something that's been confected? I mean, for example, take Brexit. There was supposedly this peak of hate crime after Brexit. Mm -hmm. If you actually look at the stats, right, there's no such thing, yeah, all right? I but I mean, I, I, I wonder, you know, do you think that, would you agree with me that, you, that it's a largely a, a, a got up thing or not? I would. I think it's very difficult to distinguish what is a hate crime and what isn't because it's based on one's perception of what a hate crime is or what is an aggression towards oneself. And particularly, I think there was another case of um, this woman that was arrested and detained for seven hours for saying some apparently, you know, transphobic things on the internet. And it, it's really dangerous because where does this end? Where does one's perception of what is you know, a hate crime end, mm. you know, this can easily tumble into suppression of freedom of speech mm. and suppression of freedom of expression. If everything everybody else does is perceived an offence and is there therefore is then therefore a crime and you should be arrested for it, wh where do we go next? You know, yeah. where does this end? Yeah. It's a really dangerous path to go down and I think it's something that needs addressing as well, where this hate crime thing is concerned. I think one of the main problems actually with it, Dominic, is uh, the when there is every supposed hate crime incident has to be put on the statistics straight away so yeah. when they put these statistics out 
the actual number of these that will go to court, that will be prosecuted or whatever, are tiny no, compared no, actually to the overall fees. I was wondering, because one of the reasons I asked you about this, because we've had this case in America very recently, it's an extraordinary one actually, with Jussie Smollett, the actor, yeah. um, you know, which, you know, there you had like, uh, hate crime because he was black, hate crime because he was gay or whatever. Mm. I mean, because of his actions, right, I mean, essentially, what would I found interesting about that is that the media immediately, you know, basically took his version of events without even questioning at all, right? Yes. And then everyone's come unstuck, have they not? Yeah, they, I think a lot of people are actually making excuses for it. And I really don't think if this was a conservative white person, I really don't think that the same sympathy would be extended um, to them as it has been to Jesse Molly. He's used something that people, you know, hold dear to their hearts, which is, you know, oppression, violence, you know, hatred against, you know, black people, homosexual people. He's used that and he's exploited it because he knows the media, you know, are going to jump upon it and it's going to be sensationalised. Yeah. And people are going to be like, well, you know, this is because of Trump, you know, apparently... His attacker said, this is MAGA country or something. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. he's, he's lied about that and he's used that because he knew that the media would capitalise on it. And this is a real refre reflection of the state that we're in today where, you know, we want to be oppressed, even though that oppression may not necessarily be there. It's something that people almost want nowadays and I just find it really bizarre. I think it's also a slap into the in the face of the people that actually have been murdered mm -hmm. because of their race, mm -hmm. people that have been attacked because they're homosexual or, you know, mm -hmm. lesbian or whatever it, it really is I think it's embarrassing to be honest it makes a mockery of what other people have actually been through where I mean where do you see yourself going then with this politics thing I mean you're doing uh, you know you're doing Turning Point yeah. UK and obviously establishing that but do you want a career in politics um, like um, elected politics Westminster I think, you know, I did at first, and I think I'm still thinking, you know, about that. I might do in the future. However, I've kind of been put off electoral politics right now. Oh, really? Yeah, to be what? honest. What? Because, what? I mean, if you're a backbencher, you are, you know, able to say more of what you think. Once you get into the cabinet, you're very restricted with mm. what you can actually say, you know, because of collective responsibility. You kind of can't really criticise the government. If you criticise the government, you know, basically just resign. So I think if I was to go into politics, I think I'd prefer to be a backbencher, like Jacob Rees-Mogg said. Right. Um, but, you know, it's something I'm thinking about. I'm not quite sure yet whether or not I definitely do want to do it. But it's something that's in your ambit, you're thinking of that. Yeah, I'm thinking about yeah, it. Yeah. Maybe one day when I'm a bit older. I think right now I'm a bit young. Well, don't leave it too long. There's many to leave things too long. <laughs> I think, I mean, the, the point is that there, it's interesting because you don't actually have to be in Parliament to have quite a bit of political influence. I think that's becoming the case more and more, isn't it, with the internet? Yeah, and I do. I really, I think social media, there is a lot of, you know, negativity around social media at the moment. We want to control it. We want to attack it because of, you know, things like fake news, because people are, you know, supposedly killing themselves just because of social media. But I think we have to remember that social media provides a lot of people with a platform to be able to say things that yeah. they wouldn't otherwise necessarily be able to say in the mainstream. And I think that's a really positive thing about social media. And I'm going to be using social media a lot to kind of get my message out there because it's the easiest way to do it. One thing I haven't seen actually uh, you know, coming up, what, three weeks' time, we've got Brexit, or yeah. we've got the, should I say, we've got the 29th of March in our minds, right? I haven't seen very much about 
Brexit when it comes to Turning Point UK. What's your position? Do you have a position on that? Yeah, um, I support leaving the European Union, yes. And I think a lot of people that are involved, well, most people that are involved with Turning Point, if not all, do support leaving the European Union. And I do talk about, talk about that a lot on my social media as well. I'm quite vocal on leaving the European Union. Yeah. Well, look, Dominique, thank you very, very much for joining us today. It's a real pleasure to, to meet you. I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot about you in the future. Um, thanks very much for watching So What You're Saying Is. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe. You'll see this logo coming up here. I think it's here or here, one of them. And hope to see you next time. Thanks very much.